Amen. All right, if you've got a Bible, you can go with me this morning, but before we do that, we're going to be in John chapter 5 if you want to get ready. But we've got Kids World today, and the kids are going to be learning about prayer today in Kids World, and I understand that there are Skittles involved. So you do have to be a child to go. Yeah, sorry. If I... If I'd had a little advance notice, I could have had some Skittles here uh, to throw out at you. No, I think I'm good. Thank you. Uh, but sorry, I don't have any. Taste the rainbow, though. So. All right, so we're in John chapter 5. I want to say thank you to the team uh, for last week while I was out of town. Tyler was out of town uh, for doing such a great job of leading worship and uh, uh, filling uh, that uh, need in our church. It's so awesome to have. Uh, folks around us, volunteers around us who are capable and willing and really blessed by that. I want to thank Jim, especially for being kind of our lead uh, person, our lead voice and kind of keeping it all together. Uh, and then uh, Deb and Naya and Stephanie were here. I think that was it, right? Yes. And uh, then our technical team had some issues that they solved. Uh, uh, Jeremy and Russ back there, and I appreciate that. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, Jason for, for teaching last week. And uh, then I, uh, you guys en enjoyed that we're here. You enjoyed communion together, the Lord's Supper. I hope that was a special time uh, for you uh, together to reflect. And uh, just really, it's always nice because there have been seasons in life where this wasn't true. It's been a long time since it wasn't true here at Christ Community Church, thank the Lord. But there have been seasons where going out of town was filled with peril when you thought about the service that was left behind at church. And to not have to worry about that at all is a... A great gift, and I thank all of those who made that uh, possible. Uh, Karen and I had gone down to take Christopher back to college and get him set up in an apartment, which was whew, quite the adventure and quite the challenge. And then I got to spend a few extra days with him, nailing down all the details, and he's there. He's settled, and he starts classes on Wednesdays, and I know that many of you pray for him as he's doing that, and some of our other students uh, Hayden and Ella Ashley out there, uh, Jessica, Gavin Strumpler, um, Christian Souza just started college. This is his first year. So uh, continue to pray for our young folks that are out there continuing their lives after they've been with us because uh, that's uh, an important way to... Oh, Haley Baker right here in town, right? She's working and going to school. Proud of that girl. She's doing a great job. Good job, Haley Baker. Um, so, anyway, keep praying for those guys. Uh, they're, they're out there trying to find their way, and they need that support, all right? So, John chapter 5, let's go there. John chapter 5. This is uh, one of my favorite stories in the Gospels. I say that a lot because I have a lot of favorite stories in the Gospel, but this is one of my favorite stories. I love the way that it works out. There's some stuff in here that gives me trouble, still. And I'll point that out when we get there. Uh, but I love the beauty of this story. And I think it has a timely word for us in our lives, no matter where we are. Uh, because I don't know about you, but I know that in my life, the lives of the people that are around me, the people that are closest to me, there are still things that we wrestle with, things that we're trying to work out, things that we know that God wants to speak into a little bit better, that maybe we're not doing uh, everything that he would have for us to be doing, or we're not thinking about it in all of the ways that he would have us to think about it. And so... I see promise in this story 
for each of us, no matter where we are in our circumstances in our, in our lives with Christ. And so first thing I want to do is I just want to read through uh, several of these verses. It's John chapter 5. We're going to go all the way to uh, verse 10. And it looks like this. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, and in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him and said, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred up and when, I'm going, and when I am going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Now, the first thing I want to point out is, uh, let me hear from you if you have some verses in there that I did not read. Anybody? Anybody following along? Listen, guys, bring your Bibles. Open your phones. Follow along. Uh, this is an interesting place in Scripture because there's actually verse 4 is not included in this translation and in a number of other translations. If you had a King James Version or a New King James Version or a New American Standard and a couple of others, you would see it there. But in the newer ones, it would be in brackets. And in the King James, it would just be there. And this is an interesting thing about uh, how we understand how the Bible came to be and how we can understand that what we're reading is really founded on documents as original as we can get. And here it is, when the Bible was first translated, the manuscripts that were used for the Gospel of John included a verse 4 that says something along the lines of, uh, because he says, uh, blind and lame and paralyzed, and then it says, because there was an angel that would come down into the pool and stir the waters, and when the waters were stirred, those who would get into the water would be healed. Well, after those early translations were put into place, older manuscripts were discovered that did not include that text. And so in the interest of being as accurate to the most original texts of the Bible that we can find, you'll find some of the more modern translations, ESV is not very old, the one that we use here at Christ Community Church, that has been completely removed here and noted in the notes because it is not in the oldest manuscripts that are available, and those older manuscripts now outnumber the manuscripts that did include that verse that came much later. Uh, so that gives you some idea of the, the care that scholars take in putting the word together. Now, if there happens to be someone here today, or if you happen to know someone who is a King James-only person, this would be completely... Uh, that they would reject this type of scholarship uh, out of hand because they believe that the 1611 version of the King James Bible is the inspired interpretation of the Bible. I don't believe that. I don't think you can make a good case for that. I think that's a worldly way to think, and if you want to discuss it, you can come discuss it with me and we can talk about that. But that being said, it's important to note 
that somewhere along the line, somebody thought that it was important to make sure that the reader understand the implication of what was being said here. Uh, we don't have any other record that tells us about this place uh, other than those manuscripts that we have that the interpretation of the book of John comes from. So I just want you to know that in case you happen to be looking at one, you go, whoa, did we just skip verse 4? Well, now you know why. All right, so let's go back right at the beginning. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So we, we, might, we might ask the question, if we don't go back and read, after what? What has immediately preceded this, according to the story that John tells here, is that Jesus' first miracle is performed at the wedding of Cana, right? He's there with his mom, with his family. He's hanging out, um, and we get this picture of the wine has run out, which means the party is not going to be as successful as his mother had planned for. And she looks at Jesus and basically says what all moms say to sons at some point in their life and says, you need to help me figure this out. And Jesus says to her, hey, you know, it's not my time to reveal myself. I'm not, I've thought about that a number of times. I mean, she could have just been saying, could you go get some wine? But Jesus took it as she wants me to do something miraculous. So maybe there was something in the way that she said that, that she was acknowledging that she understood who he was and she wanted him to move and she wanted him to act. But whatever it is, he responded to her as like, you know, this isn't really the way this is supposed to work out. But then he does what? Uh, Mary says to the, to the servants that are there, she just looks at him and says, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. And so Jesus tells him to go and gather water into these huge water pots bring them to him, he blesses them, and the water is turned into wine, his first miracle. So that has just happened. Uh, he's met the Samaritan woman by the well, another one of my favorite stories in the Bible, incredible. Uh, he's spoken with her and revealed himself to her, and she has understood that he's the Messiah. Uh, a centurion has come to him from a distance, and a centurion was probably uh, a Gentile, uh, maybe a Roman, soldier, but he was, he was at least in service to the government. So he wasn't, he wasn't a Jew, he wasn't uh, a religious man who followed after Jehovah or Yahweh or whatever you would like to refer to him in this time. Uh, he would be what we would call a, a pagan, worshiping multiple gods if he worshiped anything at all. But he's heard about the notoriety of Jesus and he comes and he says, my son is sick, can you heal him? And Jesus has a conversation with him about his level of belief and why he's there. And the centurion says, look, I, if anybody can, can help me, I know that you can. And Jesus tells him, go ahead and go back home. Your son is already being healed. And he arrives back home, and the story tells us that when he arrives back home, the servants greet him, and they tell him, He's, he's better, he's okay, he's fine. And then they, they work their way back, and the moment of healing was the moment that he's talking to Jesus. And then we arrive here. We don't know which feast this was because it doesn't tell us, but there was a feast and Jesus went to Jerusalem fulfilling his uh, role as a, as a Jew, as a Hebrew, went to the feast. And there in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate is this pool called Bethesda, which means house of mercy. Now, it says there were five colonnades. What you, could, what you can picture there is a, a pool, probably round, natural maybe, maybe not. It's hard to tell. We don't really know. 
uh, with some steps and stairs where people could hang out. Kind of, you know, it's a place where people would go and, and relax in the heat of the day. Five colonnades. Colonnades are, are large kind of entrance areas going down into this pool area. And they call them colonnades because they're, they're rounded by columns on each side. So there would have been multiple columns around these entrances spread out around the circumference of this pool. And it has become at this point no longer a place where people necessarily go to hang out for relief from the heat of the day. But as it says here, there were many there in this place called the House of Mercy who were sick. In these lay a multitude of invalids. I hate that word. Just, this is just a personal note. I don't, I don't know what to do about it. It's interesting to me, it's one of those weird English things, because if we weren't applying that to people in this context, invalids, how would we say that word? Invalid. It's the same word. It's like we've developed a way to say it that takes the sting out of it, but this is the way a lot of our, our culture see, still even today, but certainly in days past, approached people who were sick. People who had like, been lame from birth, blind from birth, they were considered to be invalid in the eyes of regular society. There's a couple of people I follow on uh, my Twitter feed who are uh, disabled folks, and they talk about this still all the time uh, in a wheelchair and how people treat them, how people look at them, the things that people say to them, uh, both in person and then, of course, you know how it works online, uh, when you're hiding behind a digital uh, persona, people just say that craziest things they'd never say to your face. And so that still exists there, this idea that we're, there are segments of, of our population, there are certain people who just don't count. They're not valid people. And as people of God, we have to, we have to really fight against that because we understand, especially as we understand the sanctity of life, that God values every single life. And so we see this here. There's a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. I want to begin to draw this metaphor to our lives, because we're still going to talk about the physical aspects of this, but I want you to begin to make a spiritual connection to your life. Are there areas in your life that you can recognize where you are blind? You're not... You're not seeing as you should see. You're not understanding what God is trying to tell you. Or maybe you're intentionally blinding yourself to certain aspects of things that are happening in your life. Certainly, we've all done that. Where we know A is true, but we choose B. And intentionally blind our vision for what's right. Um, there were those who were lame, those who, who, who couldn't physically function to their full potential, those who stumbled, those who struggled to grasp, those who look different when they walk. Is there an area in your life where you see that you are stumbling, 
where you're not, you're not grasping as you should what God has for you. Where your, your walk is taking you where he would not have you go. So there were the blind, there were the lame, and there were the paralyzed. You might find yourself in this place too, uh, in, in your life or in a, pl- a place in your life. See, it could just be, uh, we're good at this. We're good at compartmentalizing, right? We, let's say we've got, a, we've got 10 areas of our life just for the sake of argument, all right? We've categorized our life into 10 areas, and nine of them, we're like, I am locked in with God. Things are great. I know exactly how it's going. And, you know, number 10, I know that's pretty messed up, but look, I got nine. Right? Uh, look, I'm not accusing. I'm saying. I get it. And so then in this one area, maybe it's not just that we're blind and deceiving ourselves or not walking in the way that we are, but maybe we've just become completely paralyzed and we can't do anything about it. We're just frozen. I believe in this text that Jesus then wants to speak to us about that. So they were blind, lame, and paralyzed. And one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. So you might even be thinking, okay, pastor, you've, you've provoked my thinking. You're encouraging me to think about some things. And I, yeah, I got, I got a couple of spots over here, but man, they've been around my neck for a long time. And I probably, I can't do anything about that. I mean, it's been so long that I've wrestled with, with this problem or this problem or this addiction or this way of thinking or this pattern of behavior that I can't, that's just who I am. 38 years. See, Jesus can arrive in the middle of a circumstance. doesn't matter how long it's been. When Jesus arrives... He can do something. Here's the part, here's the part of this parable that, that gives me trouble and still gives me trouble. There were a multitude of invalids. And Jesus comes in and he's about to deal with one guy. Now that's the only story we hear. If we read the rest of this, we get the idea that this is the only person he works with. You know, this kind of that, that old thing when you think about the, the faith healers and kind of the prosperity gospel preachers. Uh, I, went to a, I went to see Benny Hinn when he was here in Anchorage many, many years ago. It was quite the spectacle. Um, and then uh, if you're interested in that, any of, you know, probably old people still recognize the name Benny Hinn. His uh, nephew, his name's Kosti, Hen just put out a book, and it's not an expose book. It's not like a telling all the dirt book behind the Benny Hinn story. But he does take biblical uh, points and issue with many of the things that are taught there and talks about some of the things behind the scenes that you might suspect about how things are manipulated and that some of the things that you hear and see aren't true. And interestingly enough, you may not have noticed, but here in the last few weeks, Benny Hinn has actually come out and renounced the prosperity gospel and many of the things that he was teaching. It would appear that God is doing a work in him, 
which is incredible. For those of you who don't know, Benny Hinn was, I mean, he was a superstar worldwide evangelist who was uh, considered to be a faith healer. I mean, that was really the core of his, his public ministry was that he would go around and people would be miraculously healed. And I understand that God's good enough that sometimes he really does heal. I mean, he used, he used a jackass to talk to a guy in the Old Testament. He can still heal people, right? Even if the guy doing it is not sincere. God's mercy is God's mercy, and his dominion is his dominion. So he can do whatever he wants to. We see this in uh, the New Testament when Jesus is out there, and he's, he's building uh, his, his disciples around him, and the disciples come to him one time, and they say, hey, you know, there's these other guys down the road, and they're talking about you, and they're teaching like they're part of you, but they're not part of us. And Jesus says, don't worry about that. Basically, he says, God will work it out. If my name is being glorified, God will work it out. But there used to be a joke about guys like Benny Hinn and others was like, if you really have this gift, why don't you just go down to the intensive care unit? Why don't you just go down to the, you know, why do you need the spectacle? Why do you need the, the money and the pledges of $1,000 and the seed money to, to grow your, your wealth? Why don't you just go down to the children's pediatric department where children are suffering and with no notoriety extend this gift? And it's a fair question. And so I struggle here because I see Jesus come in and there's a multitude of invalids around and he chooses one guy. I don't know why he did that. I don't know what the thinking behind that was. You could come up with lots of reasons. Is it because this is the only, the only guy worthy? I don't know. When we see his response to Jesus, I'm not sure he was worthy. I can't judge that. I'm just saying from a worldly view. Um, is it because Jesus wanted this to, to be an example in physical sense of what he can do in the spiritual sense? Because ultimately, that's what we're talking about here. When we're sick and, and people struggle here on this earth, certainly we pray for one another and we pray for healing, right? That's totally appropriate to do. I'm, I'm trying not to sneeze right now. Okay. It literally never happened to me while I was preaching before having to sneeze. So that's good. That's fun. Um, we pray for people to be healed and we ask God to do that. But we also understand in a, in a spiritual sense that physical healing is not an ultimate solution to a person's existence, right? Because this life is going to pass away. I mean, if, you, if, you're, if you're terminally ill today and God heals you, at some point, you're still going to die. So... Yes, we celebrate the life that God gives when healing comes, but we understand that's not the ultimate solution for the condition of humanity. It's the spiritual human who needs to be saved. It's the spiritual human who needs to be healed. And so we see this example here where Jesus works with this one person in a physical sense, but we can understand it as how it addresses our spiritual condition. So, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? 
And this is the core of this message today. Remember, I talked about the, the areas of our lives. Maybe, you know, we've got nine out of ten, but there's this one that's given us trouble. You've got something around your neck that's been with you for a long time, and you think, it's just the way that I am. Or there's parts of your life, your, your walk with Christ, where you know that you're not going in the direction he wants you to go. You're not seeing the things he wants you to see. You're maybe even actively pushing away the things that God wants for you. This is the question that Jesus is asking us is, do you want to be healed? Because the truth of the matter is, a lot of times when it comes to... Uh, Choices we've made in our lives, mistakes we've made in our lives, directions that we're going, uh, ways that we've set ourselves to go that we know don't glorify God, um, things that we've experienced that have set us behind. We can sometimes have a tendency to not want to be healed. That thing that we wrestle with, that burden that we carry, the sin that we enjoy, we're just like, oh, I'm just going gonna, just gonna to keep this for myself. And I don't have to, to dig that out for you to see that that's not healthy. Because you're, we're keeping a part of ourselves out of the will of God when we do that. Ultimately, what we're saying is, no matter what the reasons are, because, you know, maybe I carry a burden because, uh, you know, people like this, they just, they like, they like for people to give them sympathy, and so they keep burdens. Right? They like to be, um, they like for people to, to sort of uh, feel sorry for them, so there's always a crisis of some kind. Things like that. Ultimately, what we're saying in those kinds of things, and even as we wrestle with uh, changing our minds about our addictions, uh, changing our minds about our habits, even though there may be some physical components to those and some psychological components to those, at the end of those, at the very core, there's something about us that is saying, I know better about this than God does. I'm going to keep it for myself. When we begin to see people come out of the bondage of addictions and habits and patterns of thinking is when they begin to realize, ultimately admit to themselves that this can't continue for me. This is bad for me. They finally get to that place. And it, it can take a long time. And I'm not saying that sometimes people, especially caught in addiction, don't go through this cycle where they know it's bad for them and then they're still back into it and they know it's, they want to get out. But there had, you know as well as I do, there has to come a place where they're, they're finally in the place that for themselves they say, this has to change. And nobody else can change it for them. Until that moment comes... Consciously or unconsciously, there's still something in us that is saying, I know better about this than God does. And I'm going to wrestle it on my own, I'm going to deal with it on my own, or I'm going to wallow in it on my own, or whatever it is. 
and actively by the things that we do, our answer to that question, do you want to be healed, our answer is nope, not really, I'm good. But here's the hope. Verse 7, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him and said, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. That was a long way of saying yes. Do you want to be healed? Yes. But I can't get down there into the pool. When the pool is stirred, I can't get down there, and somebody else beats me to it. There's nobody here to help me. And Jesus looks at him and says, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once, the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. Now back to your circumstances, my circumstances, whatever they may be. Is it always instantaneous when we call out for help? It doesn't appear to be. I don't know why that is either. I suspect it has more to do with me than it does to do with him. But I also know this. I can find story after story here that tells us that what... God responds to is a heart that's broken, a heart that needs healing, and a heart that's willing to be humble. And whether the healing happens in a moment or the healing happens over time, he is able if we are willing. There's three things here in verse 8 that Jesus tells him to do. The first is get up. Now that must have seemed like an impossible task when those words first came out of Jesus' mouth. He's been laying there for 38 years. Get up. And in a spiritual sense, I think it's kind of that idea of Wake up. Let your thinking come alive. You've been trapped in this idea that you're stuck with whatever it is you think you have, but you're not. Get up. This man's whole life was consumed with the idea that all he could do was lay there. And Jesus, in this moment, changes his thinking. He says to him, you know, why don't you just get up? And he does. Take up your bed. The thing that was the symbol of his illness, the thing that defined him, laid there on the ground. Jesus said, don't, don't let that thing be your master. Get up. Take up the thing that used to define you. Have authority over that. Command that thing. Instead of it holding you, you're going to hold it. Instead of it wrestling you, you're going to wrestle it. And then Jesus said, and walk. Don't stay where you are. 
Don't waste this. Don't change, the, don't change your thinking and realize that, hey, I don't have to deal with this. I can do something different. Don't change your thinking and then just stay there in the same place. Move. Get going. Go in a different direction. Wrestle the thing that used to command you, you command it in the name of Jesus. And then move in the direction he wants you to move. And at its core, you say, well, what direction is that? Away from whatever was making you sick. That, that's, the, that's the most basic understanding. Where do I need to go? Somewhere else than what's making you sick. And it says, at once, this man was healed. He took up his bed, and he walked. He moved. When we obey, when we believe, we begin to receive in that moment. And we are made able to walk in his way. I'm not naive enough to try and sell you on the idea that whatever your uh, burden is, whatever is, is, is harming you or whatever you're doing to harm yourself, I'm not naive enough to say that just in a blanket fashion that if you call out to Jesus that bang, everyone's going to be you know, miraculously instantly transformed in that because sometimes he just doesn't work that way. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't, but he always works. See, if, if we'll obey, if we'll trust, if we'll receive, if we'll believe, he always works. And I could go around this room here and, and call out testimony after testimony of those who have witnessed that in their own lives. Some of it instantaneously miraculous and some of it hard-fought years of walking the path of the Lord to get to where they are now. And so I say to you, it's not just the truth of this word here, but there's the truth of the lives of believers in this place right now that, that show us it's real. And it can be real for you. And the final part of this says, now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews, and you can translate that, the word Jews there, really to the religious leaders, very religious people, said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. Now this is not, what they're saying to him is not anything based in, in scripture or even the laws that God had given to the Jews way back when. This was man's perversion on top of those laws. And it was that you weren't allowed to uh, move from one place to another, like move your domicile, your home, from one place to another on the Sabbath, because the Sabbath is supposed to be a day of rest and not working. And there became just all these other rules. There were certain distances that you could walk if you had a, 
a prayer mat. You could walk a certain distance and put the prayer mat down and sit down and pray, and then you could take it up and walk another certain distance and put it down, and that's how you got around the rules because you needed to go you know, a mile and a half, but you could only walk 500 feet at a time. So these man-made rules, and, and he's being subjected to this, is like, and this, guys, can happen in your life. When God begins to work in your life, when you believe and obey and receive and he begins to work in your life to heal things, there will be some people around you, sometimes even religious people, Christian people who are supposed to kind of be bought into the same things that we're bought into about who Jesus is and, and what he does, who will say, oh, I don't think that's how that works. Listen, forget that business. If God is healing you, go with him. Because sometimes there will be people who are more concerned about the way things look or exactly which T was crossed and I was dotted than they will be about the fact that you're being healed. And we see it all the time in religious communities. Uh, I, I think I need to get rid of Twitter. Jason, are you, are you hearing me back there? Because every, every time I think of something negative, it's Twitter. Um, that's why I call it the dumpster fire of social media, is Twitter. But there's this big thing going on right now about music. One of the songs we sang today, people hate that song, that reckless love thing. They're like, God's never reckless. It's not exactly what it means, so, but I don't want to flesh it out for those people because um, they're not going to listen anyway. But it's like, you know, there's, this, there's this hashtag out there now. Uh, old people, work with me. Hashtag looks like a number sign or a pound sign. And you use it on social media to, 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 to comment, and then everybody who uses that same hashtag, you can go and see what everyone else is saying about the same topic. It's kind of cool. But there's a hashtag out there right now called Sing the Psalms. Sing the Psalms. It sounds very spiritual. Well, the reason these songs are irritating to you, and the reason why these songs are vapid, and the reason these songs don't have any doctrinal truth to them is because they're not the Psalms. So why don't we just go back and sing the Psalms? Never mind. Sing to the Lord a new song is a psalm. Are you hearing me? That's from the Psalms. Sing to the Lord a new song is in the Psalms. So besides that, this is the same kind of thinking that says, you know what? Uh, sort of glad you're healed, but you're not supposed to be carrying that thing right now. Celebrate the work of Jesus Christ in your friends, in your neighbors, and in yourself. Because when you see Christ at work, when you see healing happen, when you see release from addiction happen, when you see habits change, when you see thinking change, you know that that person has submitted themselves to God Almighty and they have believed, they have obeyed, and they have received a gift from God. If you're concerned about the bed they're carrying, why don't you carry it for them? That would be a spiritual thing to do. So I can only leave you with this. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. We're going to sing one more song together uh, before we go this morning. But I, I can only leave you with this then in the context of this message is... Do you want to be healed? And if you do, 
you must tell him. Tell him you want it and tell him what needs to be healed. And then allow him to heal you. Then get up. Take command of that thing which besets you. And move in his way. In Jesus' name.